Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standick, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means it is only, what, a handful of, I don't know, three, three, four, five days before it is back to Ashburn to see what these guys are up to for the start of OTAs. We'll, we'll do that next week, but want to talk a little bit more in that range, uh, in that in in that uh, realm. Uh, here to do that with me, we're going to go through the topics that are not the ones we keep talking about. No Carson Wentz, no Chase Young. I mean, we'll we'll mention them, but like not like his main topics. Here to help me sift through that, I just going to prove that he exists. Is my colleague of the Athletic, Mike Smeltz, and Mike, you are are you ready to go for this sort of uh, OTA like, but like the other stuff we don't talk about preview. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited not to mention CW's name uh, throughout this entire pod. CW or CYs, any Cs I'm not going to talk about. Um, but then I'm definitely going to talk about Carson Wentz at some point. So happy to be here. Also, I'm going to force you to talk about the Wizards because we have the lottery and the Wizards are projected to pick at a certain spot where they'll take another 6'9 forward who can't shoot. So I'm excited about that as well. Awesome. Well, great, 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 uh, you know, <laughs> great, great tease there that we we'll talk about that. Oh, uh, yeah. No, we can do that for, for a minute for sure. In addition to Mike and I going through, like I said, it's not that we're going to ignore these other topics completely. It's just there's, there's plenty of other topics to discuss that don't involve um, just Carson Wentz's arrival and Chase Young's recovery. Uh, and I want to get to some of those things. But in addition to that, um, I also spoke with our Alabama insider, Aaron Suttles. Uh, about two guys, obviously Washington just drafted Fedarian Mathis, Brian Robinson. He's covered their careers. He's been in Alabama long enough to have covered John Allen, Deron Payne as well. So uh, had a chance to catch up with Aaron. I'll play that interview for you as well here on the Standard Room Only podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes or Spotify or anywhere you do your podcasting. You can listen, of course, also on the Athletic app. Subscribe there to read my stuff, listen to the pod and see everything else. The Athletic has to offer. Uh, if you want to hit me up on Twitter, I am at Ben Standig. Mike, you you you're, you're not really in, uh, uh, you, you're not you're not giving out your Twitter handle so much, although you can. But you, you're connecting with people on LinkedIn, and you showed yeah. me where it appears people are sending you LinkedIn invitations based on your previous appearances, which is warms my heart. But uh, how's that yeah. going? It's been awesome getting a lot as people from. Really, what's it's shown me is that you have listeners all around the world because not a single person who's linked in with me is from DC, Maryland, Virginia. It's someone's from Oregon, someone's from Indiana, I think someone's from Bolivia potentially as well. Um, yeah, so find, find me on LinkedIn. You could also could find me on Twitter at Mike Smeltz. Uh, I promise I'll tweet more about the commanders. Uh, but yeah, I love it. LinkedIn, I, I love connecting with commanders fans on linkedin it's the best <laughs> too funny um i've mentioned in the last episode that i'm actually going on that i'm actually on vacation which you might be like dude how are you doing a podcast while on vacation yeah. i don't really consider the podcast work to be honest like it's not like i'm not like having conversations with people about this team anyway on the phone or whatever so i'm like you know what let's just do it here mm -hmm. um and because i did have the aaron interview that i wanted to sort of get out before training camp opened anyway which is again starting next week. So here we are. Yes, I'm I'm doing a little extra work just for you guys. I'm not going to tweet this out though. So if you if you're listening, you know. If you if you're only seeing these, if you only pay attention when I tweet it, you're going to miss this one. But hopefully you won't. And other people will tweet it out or whatever. All right, 
let's go through some things here. But before we get to the sort of the other topics, I do want to get to one. Well, I, I guess this can sort of count as an other topic, but it's sort of news of the week a little bit that I had a, that I had a part in. And that is those Jack Del Rio comments that he made to Julie Donaldson the other day on the team website regarding the secondary and kind of what is going on there that last year Jack Del Rio was saying he was disappointed in uh, what was going on with the secondary and were, and, and he sort of inferred that people were missing time that people had missed part of OTAs. And of course we're all like, wait, wait a minute. Uh, we know about chase young. He missed basically all of the, and all of it. And again, the voluntary part, let's be clear about that. Montez sweat missed a day. A couple other people missed a day some for excuse reasons or whatever, but it really was this chase young and nobody in the secondary is what we know. And it, here's what Del Rio said, just for those of you who didn't remember, and you can find this on the website. I have a new story up about sort of uh, storylines going to OTAs. And I have this quote in here, but just quickly, I'll read some of this. Del Rio recently said, quote, um, again, this time of year, when you can slow it down, explain exactly where you are, belong, and how it all ties together, we need to communicate on certain adjustments, certain formations, certain shifts, motions. This is critical right now. I was disappointed last year when we did not have full participation. I thought it contributed to us having a poor year in the back end because it's all about the back end has to, because it's all about the back end has to play well for you to play great defense, et cetera, et cetera, not to look back and make excuses and worry about that. But I feel much better about what we're doing now, the work we're putting in the focus, the energy, the effort, the commitment, those things pay off. There's no shortcut to success. And, and Mike, all of this raised a lot of questions from people I talked to on the beat and elsewhere about like, what, what is Jack Del Rio talking about? So I got some clarification that I put up on the site I'll, and I'll just go through it quickly. And that is for the for third phase of OTAs, which is what's happening next week, which is why I'll be out there as well as the other people in the media. Cause that's what we get to watch when they're on the field doing actual football practice things, everything else they do, we don't get to see. And PR does not tell us anything about this. I don't mean that in a nefarious way. That's just not the deal. They don't, they don't need to. So we don't know, I guess, technically when people are showing up or not. Well, apparently, according to Jack Del Rio, people in the secondary didn't show up for phase two last year. Phase two are basically is like glorified walkthroughs. Um, fine. If you're doing important stuff there, great. That's what he's referring to there, which is, so I guess he's saying that people did miss time. Now, Bobby McCain came in like right at that sort of moment when that stuff was sort of uh, happening we know Landon Collins was out with the Achilles. Del Rio bringing it up on his own on the team website without being prompted. Clearly it's in his head that this was an issue. He sound, he's saying it's better now, which is great, but it's just been interesting that this was something he's harbored in his head for a year, never said anything about it now brings it up. And that's some clarification uh, on what that was all about. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, maybe it's in his head because it's that time of the year again that this is happening. But and I, I, this is not like to throw Jack Del Rio under the bus in any circumstance. I will say, though, if you're blaming the lack of uh, production out of your secondary at the communication issues that happened during a season on, you know, these guys not being there for phase two of 
of ba a basically a glorified walkthrough, is, which is how you described it. <laughs> I think that there's other issues. Like, you know, there is a plenty of other time, install time, that then leads up into the season. I mean, phase two, when does that happen? And it happened right around now in the year, right? I mean, and we, we're not playing football games until September. And obviously, it's not full practice time between phase two and now, but there's all of training camp and there there's all this time to get that down. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that Derek Del Rio is like trying to create excuses for the lack of success last year. I just think it's a little silly to blame glorified walkthroughs that were missed in the spring for why there was inadequacies in the fall, right? This secondary, pretty much everyone on the defense was a disappointment on every level. You know, the defensive ends were a disappointment linebackers besides Cole Holcomb were a disappointment you know the the defensive backs besides Cam Curl Bobby McCain was fine but they were all basically disappointments too and you can't look it back to phase two you should be a good enough coach where like that you can make up for that you can make up for missing a walkthrough in the spring or a series of walkthroughs in the spring um it is of course, though, like it, he's a coach and coaches value practice time. And we've heard many times that like these guys don't get enough practice time. Um, I, I mean, I don't. Do you think that it, you've been around football way more than me, like these football teams? Do you think this is a legitimate excuse, a legitimate gripe to have that the, these guys aren't showing up for phase two of OTAs or whatever they are? Every, every time I hear like phase two, I think of the uh, or whatever it was called of the Seinfeld where his parent or his uh, parents are in uh, they're in like phase two of the, whatever the, whatever the name of the senior living center yeah. was. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm largely with you. I mean, you know, one, I just wanted to sort of clear up what he was saying, but two, yeah, to the larger point, it does seem a bit overstated. I'll leave it up to them to, to, to say how important these things really are. And like, I get that they are, and you did have a secondary last year. William Jackson was new and we, we we saw obviously his miscommunication or his issues adjusting to playing a new scheme. Landon Collins not only was recovering from the Achilles, but we, you know, as we know, his, his coverage skills were struggling and his, the defense didn't take off until they shifted his position. Uh, you had Benjamin St. Juice coming in as a rookie, the third round pick who was essentially their third cornerback. Um, and Bobby McCain only arrived, as I said, you know, in uh, it was a year ago, May 14th. So they did have a lot of new pieces, but you're right. I mean, to the degree that we're saying, and again, they were there for the OTAs and veteran minicamp. It's not like they weren't there for, for the on-field stuff. It's not like they weren't there for those things, plus training camp. You would think that that would be enough to sort of get professionals up to speed or whatever you need, but whatever. That's what he said. I, I don't know what else to how to really argue it otherwise, and I don't want to dwell on it too much longer, but th that's clarification. You can go read more about that on the, uh, on the site, but just wanted to get that out there, but we'll see. It's, it's kind of odd. There's no doubt. Um, one, one thing that's going to help the defense, of course, regardless is the return in full of, of their uh, top defensive end. No, I don't mean Chase Young. Mm -hmm. I mean, Montez Sweat. And that is, a lot, there are a lot of people who think he is the better of the two right now. And, and that doesn't mean to say that will be the end result. It's just to say that Montez Sweat is a pretty talented guy, led the team in sacks in 2020 with nine, had seven as a rookie. You know, he's a real legit physical 
freak. And last year was just an incredibly frustrating year for him as it was for the whole defense. But for him personally, it was rough. He only played in 10 games. He had that broken jaw, uh, you know, sort of mid season that knocked him out of the lineup for a bit. He obviously had some personal tragedy tragedies off the field. His brother was killed. And, you know, there was a, a, a other factors as well. This did not have near the season that people were hoping or that he was hoping for. And he, he finished with five sacks, but we talk so much about Chase Young coming back and the importance of that. And it is, and we talk about them in tandem to a degree, but we'll see where Chase Young is at, right? He's coming off the ACL. And also he had a really frustrating year. I mean, as, as, as not ideal as it was for Montez Sweat on the field, Chase Young was far, far uh, more frustrating. Uh, Montez Sweat to me, therefore, is sort of the guy who I feel I'm counting on a bit more this year. N- not more, more from him, but more than Chase Young to a degree. Like I kind of feel like I know what I'm getting more from Sweat. And if he is able to come back in and give you, you know, sort of nine plus sacks, and and be a real presence, having seen now John Allen, the guy he's lined up next to, do that with you know pretty consistency last year. I mean that right that side of the line could be really frightening. And you know I, I feel like you know the impact of Montez Sweat, we don't ha- it doesn't have to be with Chase Young. His his impact alone, I think, could be huge. So I'm really curious to see what this guy does. There's also the contract ramifications going forward. He'll be entering you know so he's one year behind Jerron Payne, so he'll be going into his fifth year next year and so on. So I think it's a huge year for Sweat, and I'm actually expecting big things from him. I'm really curious to see what he uh, what he does starting uh, next week. Yeah, I want to be able to predict, you know, a 10-sack season and that stuff, but it's so confounding what happened last year when both Sweat and Young were healthy. It just doesn't make sense of how ineffective they were. I mean, I'm here looking up, you know, I, knew, I know we're going to talk about defensive ends, and it's surprising to me. I'm looking at James Smith-Williams, and I remember – how I liked him on the field. I remember when they drafted him, his physical profile, um, which is pretty elite. He just had a ton of injuries in college. Jason Williams had a more productive year than Chase Young. And, you know, Chase Young played, was a starter for half the year, then got hurt. James Smith Williams was barely in the rotation. And then he became a starter because of injuries and because of Chase Young's injury and Montez Sweat. And it's like, it would be very unusual if Montez Sweat doesn't have a big bounce back on any level. I mean, because as he's, he's next to John Allen, um, Chase Young should be healthy for most of the season, if not the whole season. And, you know, if if guys are showing up for phase two and the secondary has better communication, um, the, you know, the way the Patriots operate with their pass rush is they, they build it from the defensive backs forward, right? So... They spend a lot of money on guys like Gilmore and Darrell Revis. And then they, if they give their defensive line more time, they should be able to produce more sacks. And other teams like Ron Rivera has traditionally done over his time is build it from the defensive line and going on back. The D line puts pressure and that helps the defensive backs. Um, right now, though, they're spending more money on you know, defensive backs, or they had been spending more money before they cut Landon Collins. So, you know, it, it gets in a situation where, like, if you look at Montez Sweat's physical profile, it's, of course, the guy's a freak. And then you get to the point you talked about the contract. I mean, Ben, how how motivated would you be, okay, if if I told you, you know, if you broke X amount of news that you would get paid $20 million a year, would you be excited for that potential benefit because that's what 
Montez Sweat, if he gets 10 sacks and pressures has a nice pressure rate, he's going to get $20 million a year, whether it's from the commanders or from someone else, because that's just how it goes. So, yeah, you know. like we've talked so much about the receiver market exploding, but like a defensive end, you know, that continues to go up. Max Crosby with the Raiders um, was, was one of the big ones, if not the biggest one this year yeah. to get paid. And yeah, you know, it's like you can't really compare what Montez Sweat and Chase Young have done to a guy like that yet based on production. But you're right. It's not like Montez Sweat wasn't trending in that direction. And, you know, if, if he gets ten, right, if he gets 10 sacks, the, the the deal he's going to have to pay, he's going to get is pretty big. And by the way, I think that factors in with the Deron Payne stuff, which is why I've been talking about forever. You can't really just, you can't realistically extend all four of these guys. And by the way, if you could, it would be because they all fell flat relative to the expectations that you're getting them on a relative discount to um, what you thought you were. And then that's a whole other problem if that's the case, which it doesn't feel like it will be the case. John Allen's already been paid. You know, Deron Payne's been fine and Chase Young and Sweater coming. So, yeah, uh, 100%. There's a huge contract situation looming, but if they get double-digit sacks, nobody's probably going to care about paying it out. Uh, but, yeah, there is a huge um, huge motivation here um, for, for sure. Um, you mentioned James Smith-Williams. This kind of goes to another topic not being really sort of discussed right now, and that is, I get it, the OTA in May – is not that relevant to what happens in September, or at least maybe Jack Del Rio disagrees. Um, but when they line up, right, and they, and they start to practice, somebody will be a defensive end that's not Chase Young because he's still recovering from his ACL. And I think the question is, well, who is that person? And it's not just because, you know, we're, we, yes, we expect Chase Young back, but we know they rotate defensive linemen around. And, you know, typically that third defensive end you know, you're counting on for something, uh, you know, some sort of, you know, I don't want to put numbers on sacks or pressures, but some sort of an impact beyond just eating up snaps. And that player is a huge mystery right now. It's, it remains so. And, you know, here, here, I mean, look, here are the names. James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill, F.A. Obata, Shaka Tony, Bumby Rutini, William Bradley King, unless I'm forgetting somebody, those are the guys who yeah. we're looking at or who are the backups. Just to be clear, I just named one, two, three guys who were picked in the seventh round. Two guys who were under, uh, well, I think two Hill was drafted, right? But he was a picked up off the waivers here. Rutimi was an undrafted free agent and F.A. Obata came originally through the international program and they signed him as one of their only free agents they've added. None of those guys, you're, you're sitting here right now going, that's definitely that guy, right? And I think that's going to be an interesting question. It's Again, it's not just who's replacing Chase Young throughout the summer here. It's also who's the third guy that you can hopefully count on for sacks. I mean, James Smith-Williams, I think, was the third guy last year, but he's more of a versatile position flex kind of a, a, a player who may even line up inside on passing downs more than – an edge guy definitively. So I think seeing how these players have developed will be an interesting part of this uh, early uh, OTAs and and so on. Yeah. I mean, pretty much all those guys, there's like something to like about them. Like there's things like, like when Shaka Tony got on the field at the end of the season, there's like little moments where he, he, obviously he's, he's super quick. Uh, He's, he's small for defensive end. He's as he's listed on the site, six two two thirty eight, which is like, linebacker size but 
He's super quick, and there's something to like about him. Tuhill, like, definitely didn't hate the times that Tuhill was out there on the field. And I like when, – when James Smith-Williams played, like, so look at post-Chase Young's injury. And this isn't that impressive. It's not like he's a hidden gem. But in the games he played, every other game, he got to the quarterback. I mean, it was half sacks, but he got to the quarterback. He made some tackles. Most of them assisted, blah, blah, blah. Um, the defense – whether it obviously didn't have everything to do with James Smith Williams, but the defense, the structure seems sounder when, and we've talked about this so many times, when Chase Young and Montez Sweat weren't playing defensive end. You had Doc Walker on the show, and Doc kept bringing up James Smith Williams, uh, kind of like sliding him in. And I like when you hear Doc talk about like linemen on some level, that he like he's pretty critical of, like he was pretty critical of Brandon Sheriff. Um, Obviously, that's an offensive lineman, but he see, he obviously loves John Allen, and he seems to recognize something in James Smith-Williams uh, that he likes. The thing is, it's like it, all those guys, even if you like one little thing, whatever it is, none of them, of course, are complete. And so if you do have a Chase Young Montez Sweat injury, you're kind of back into this really stressful situation. And last year, the commanders, I like, I would, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm sure they commanded, they put out a five defensive end or de five defensive linemen lineup, probably more than most teams in the NFL. Um, they did that because they had Ioannidis with Payne and Allen. Now they don't have Ioannidis. So if you had a guy like Ioannidis, you could say, okay, we'll give him some defensive end snaps or whatever, just on like pure rushing downs to kind of get our rotation right. They don't even have that like, super sub defensive tackle anymore um so yeah. and by the yeah yeah sorry just to interrupt you so uh not to interrupt you but um so of course as we remember last year sweat and young miss uh you know miss time and that was exactly the point when washington rattled off four straight wins and if you go back and look at those games you know in terms of the defense there was already starting to be a little bit of a of, a, of an upturn right before that but in those four games they allowed, in terms of total yards, 273, 297, 267, and 310. Yeah, we can point to those teams for whatever the, the opponents. But that was when they were, I think, their most disciplined, in part because James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill were just being far more disciplined than Young and Sweat on a play-to-play -play basis. They they lacked the upside, but they helped, I, I would argue, the defense in, in, in total sort of do what it needed to do. And I think that's one of the things to keep an eye on this year when we talk about Sweat and Young but also the pieces to come in. But like, like we're saying, there's some inter each guy you could make, make some argument for. I thought William Bradley King did some good things late yeah. in the year when he showed up and Rotimi had some sacks as well. Um, and Obata, you know, he's had, I think, what, like eight, 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 eight or sack, eight sacks or so over the last couple of years. Um, and he's obviously has those ties with Rivera. So I don't even know who, which of these guys are definitely going to make the team, let alone be the third guy. That's why it'll be interesting to watch and see what happens um, as we get to um, OTAs. Um, this just one more thing to stay on the line. We don't have to get into this one a ton, but we've talked a lot about Deron Payne here, in part because I've been reporting that Washington is not expected to um, re-sign him to an extension, at least not here during the year. You know, things can change, of course, and uh, we'll see. But that's not that's it. Those are. That's not the way it's, it's being, it's not expected right now. 
this could be a good thing for Deron Payne. If, if motivation, you mentioned a few minutes ago, the idea of if Montez Sweat can get 10 sacks or so, what does that do for his contract? Look, it's not like Deron Payne's been bad. He's been pretty, pretty good. He just, he just doesn't get the sacks that John Allen gets. He still had really, you know, he said some career high numbers for him last year, not in sacks, but in QB pressure and QB hits, pressures, things like that, tackles. If Deron Payne takes his game up on another level, whether he's just motivated going into the last year of his deal, I'm not even going to get into if he feels disrespect or any of that stuff. But like, if 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 that happens, that is why you keep him. It maybe is not a great necessarily great long term play, but if your goal is this year maximize what you have, you want that guy on your team, and maybe he's a little bit extra motivated. So again, very curious to see what Deron Payne looks like as we get here into camp. You know, does he? I don't know. He's a little. They all look in good shape, relatively speaking. But, like, you know, what's his motivation? Where is he at? What's his mindset? What do we hear from him? So I think that's something to keep an eye on um, as well. Yeah, I mean, when I keep thinking about Payne and Allen, I keep thinking about that. What game was it where they had a a scuffle on the sidelines? The Dallas game, yeah, at that when they got blown out. And, you know, I know everything that was said after the game – is fine and of course we don't know anything beyond that and i think if it was a problem they would have traded pain as opposed to keeping him around like if it was a problem between those two guys i will say this one guy getting paid a bunch of money and then the other guy not and then one of their sort of generational guys in another alabama defensive tackle being drafted bringing that immediate competition who's cheaper um Payne could be very motivated and, you know, that would be the best thing for him. He also could be dejected and not completely happy with how things have been acting. Again, his buddy to who he got in a fight with got paid and then they already have got his replacement in. Um, it's like when you have a dog and you get the dog's getting old and then you get a puppy while the older dog's alive and then your older dog just stares at the puppy like, this is the thing that's going to take all my food and all the treats I get, I have to stare at this energetic, you know, little yappy thing. You know, the pain is probably looking at Mathis like this is, I mean, he's going to take my job, you know, and I'm going to have to go find a new home somewhere else. Um, I think it's going to get, we're going to wow. find out. Well, the, the difference is that the older dog eventually goes to the proverbial farm. The Ron pain is fate is going to a team that will pay him a lot of money. The question yes. is how much money he's paying. <laughs> I'm assuming he actually does leave. And look, there is a world where, you know, at the end of the year, Montez Sweat doesn't have 10 sacks and Washington goes back to Deron Payne and says, hey, we've gone, gone through the full year. We'd like to figure out a way to keep, you know, keep you. That is possible. That not ruling that out, that this is the more unlikely scenario at this point. Um, but yeah, either way, Deron Payne will, will be getting... Uh, a, a, a bushel full of cash from somebody next offseason. The question is just how much. And, you know, his type of defensive tackle is important, but he doesn't get after the quarterback as much. So we'll see where his game kind of goes um, this year. Um, I do want to hit on a couple other topics yes. before we jump here. A couple of the things just of note. Um, one, uh, we talk a ton about the receivers. We'll go to the offense, talk a ton about their receivers. Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dodson. Look, it is a pretty interesting group. None of them have size, however. And as we know, based on Carson Wentz's history with the Colts and the Eagles, he's had success throwing the taller receivers. 
Um, maybe that's partly by just by those of the he had taller receivers, but that's also been his track record. The one receiver with height is Cam Sims, and they actually did make a point of bringing him back. They have not been very good about getting him involved in the offense over the last you know couple of years, and really he's been such a, a fun tease his whole career here with Washington. It's now going into his fifth year, which is wild. I still have Cam Cam Sims stock and still believe he's a guy that can be a a viable threat here. Now, I'm not saying a guy's going to catch 50 passes, but the red zone size, obviously. So Carson Wentz to Cam Sims. The the idea of chemistry early on maybe gets overstated if we're talking sort of fantasy football-y type stuff. But I want to see, does Carson Wentz enjoy throwing to Cam Sims when he's out there? Does he like the the tall receiver? I, I I think Cam Sims is not somebody somebody I'm not going to sleep on. Even though every year we get through this, it's like every, the team feels like they slept on him because they just don't ever seem to get him uh, the ball a ton. Um, another one here, staying on the offense. Okay, the offensive line. Like I get it; it's the least sexy part of any team. Uh, you know, th- th- people are kind of over. Uh, you know, like there was good things that happened here last year, right? Ron Rivera constantly talks about that they were rated six by PFF and, you know, all these are important things, all that. And that's great. But they, 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 they swapped out their two guards. They got in theory, less talented and cheaper Brandon Scherf, you know, we, whatever, we can quibble over whether he should have gotten paid, whether Washington was wise to not pay him. I, I would probably argue. They were. Yes. Yeah, they were yeah. 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 <laughs> between the injuries and everything else. But very talented, five times wanting to be here. That also <laughs> him, right. him. It hasn't been talked about enough that he chose Jacksonville over Washington. I know the money. I understand the money, but I'm just saying that is what happened. So we, this is the world we're living in at the moment. But yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, that's all good. I, I noted that like after the schedule came out, I think I didn't hear almost anybody, myself included, immediately mention, "Oh, Brandon Sheriff will be at FedEx Field for the opener of the year, but he'll be on the other team because it was so." Sort of, I think we've all moved on. Regardless you, of that, the, you know the, how in the NBA they do every time a player returns, they do like the highlight yeah, package. Yeah. For Brandon Sheriff, it could be him just, you know, nursing injuries oh, and rejecting contracts. That could be the highlight package, Ben. Oh, that's all he did here. No, all I, right. know. I know so, he's great at pooling. So, all that so, sa- such a good pooler. All right. All that said, we were all like <laughs> making fun of Brandon Sheriff. He was their best offensive lineman for years, and they don't have anybody like that anymore. And larger to the point, they don't even have anybody with much upside to even be a potential pro bowler. Now, offensive linemen, pro bowlers can come from anywhere. Um, Andrew Norvell was a pro bowler at his point in his career, earlier in his career. I think Trey Turner was, was, Trey Turner was a five-time pro bowler at at points in his career. Neither one of those guys are that level. It doesn't appear at this point. Charles Leno was a pro bowler at one point, but, you know, right now I think he's more of a solid tackle. Uh, Chase Ruye has not been to a Pro Bowl, but he's been a pretty good tackle he, or good center. He's also coming off a significant leg injury, which leads me to the right tackle, Sam Cosme, because I get that we're all just sort of going along the idea that John Matsko is going to figure this out. But like you would like it to be just not more than just solid. I'm a huge believer in the offensive line. I, w- I would rather invest there than a receiver, because if you have a good offensive line, it raises everything else up the way other positions don't. And right now, if we're looking to the 2023 offseason, I don't know that we're all going to, I mean, again, other than John Matska just working magic, I don't know we're looking at any player here and saying this player is going as is, is a potential pro bowler, unless Sam Cosme, the right tackle, 
continues to improve. I thought he looked pretty good last year when he played, but he also missed a good chunk of the year with injuries. And, you know, we'll hope that the injuries are just a one-off kind of a deal. But to me, there's a lot of eyes on him because if he can develop and become a legit, you know, doesn't, I'm not saying he has to be Joe Jacoby, but just a legit higher end, higher end (laughs) tackle. That's huge. Cause other than that, I don't know where you're pointing to on this offensive line and seeing uh, significant upside. So I just think there's something to, to, to keep an eye on there. Um, no, I agree. I, I mean, if you look at Cosme's athletic profile, he's one, he was one of the most athletic offensive tackles coming out of Texas, right? So he has the traits. He has sort of like the one-two. I think it was a technique issue. And he's with the perfect team. You know, great offensive line coach who's shown time and time again already that he's the best coach that Washington has. Um, and so – he he's the guy as you're saying he's the guy with the upside uh he of course has to stay healthy but you know if he's really good it makes the rest of your line i mean obviously you get is he the future left tackle at some point or does he always stay on the right side um i'm pretty sure there i think kevin sheehan was saying this and i'm sure you would know this as well washington maybe would have targeted a um an offensive tackle with the 11th overall pick. If one of the big three, Charles Cross, Icky, or uh, Evan Neal had fallen to them, probably would have been Charles Cross. Um, so I think it is something that the commanders, they do realize like they need to continually stock uh, the offensive line. Um, and, but they do have like a, it's a nice situation because of the coaching. The coaching has really solved a lot of the issues there. Yeah, and they do have some good depth, you know, obviously Cornelius Lucas, and we'll see what C.D. Charles is at. And, you know, if Wes Schweitzer is not starting, then he's coming off the bench, and we've seen that he's able to be a good plug-and-play guy. So they have good depth for this year. But in terms of, like, going forward, is this a strength of the team or not? I just think a lot may come down to Sam Cosme. How much does he improve uh, this year? Uh, Obviously, other storylines, the linebacker thing remains weird. As we're talking, they have not signed any any vet that, you know, that they – you add a couple free agents or undrafted free agents. They did release Jordan Kunisek, which I thought was a little bit odd, um, but he was pretty much only special teams only guy. And after Cole Holcomb and Jamin Davis, I literally have no idea who would be the third guy in four, three sets. And that's assuming Jamin Davis is, you know, is Khalid Hudson, or is that just like a, he barely played last year, even when they had the injuries. I, 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 you know, until they show some, you know, that's the thing it's not even a matter of the unknown they just didn't themselves the the coaching staff didn't show much interest in Hudson or David Mayo until things went you know sideways with with COVID and whatever so I'm not assuming anything but look if they don't bring in anything more or just you know in front of Hudson or Mayo you're assuming that they believe that they will be able to play more so that to me is a huge mystery again there's still a ton of free agents out there at linebacker but they haven't signed anybody yet last one here uh this may be more fun than anything. There are two kickers in camp. I <laughs> uh, like, you know, people wanted two kickers when Dustin Hopkins was here the last couple of years. They didn't do it. Joey Sly was perfect with field goals last year. He's the one that got the multi-year deal. He's the favorite for that spot. But Brian Johnson is the one who had the game winning long kick to beat the Raiders on the road last year. And then they kept them around. So they're keeping two guys around for a reason. I, again, I'm not assume, assuming Joey Sly He's going to get the job, but it's, it's, it's one of those weird positions. It's like, it's like middle relievers in baseball year to year. Consistency is not always there. So I don't, I think this is something to watch that we're not talking about at all because 
at keeping two kickers around for a reason. And the other guy made a huge kick last year. So I, 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 uh, I think this could be a fun one to keep an eye on. Both Virginia Tech guys, both Hokies. One guy is Brian Johnson. Didn't he grow up in like Bethesda or something? He did. He went to Gonzaga. Um, yeah, I, I actually, I, I liked what I saw out of Joe, Joey Sly. But the, you know, this kicker thing, it's so, <laughs> it's like if they miss one, the amount of pressure that amps up on them from everyone in this fan base is so, uh, that position is no one's basically ever going to be satisfied. Um, and, you know, we are, we are so excited to get rid of. Yes. No, no, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I, unfortunately, we got to jump because. Oh, uh, yeah. It's uh, okay. It's got to go. All good. But, uh, Mike, I appreciate it. No, 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 you're good. I appreciate the, 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 the time. Uh, go check Mike. Uh, go, go message Mike on and link LinkedIn. On LinkedIn. LinkedIn. And, uh, and, and right. we'll talk. Thanks, man. Thank you. But just a couple other quick points. Um, you know, when we talk about the Bradbury situation, as I mentioned, I'm not really on Twitter right now, but just my sense is that people are upset about the fact that Washington didn't get involved and, you know, maybe some more questions about, are they being hamstrung by ownership with money? You know, we've talked about this before here on this podcast. I asked Ron Rivera flat out at the owner's meeting about whether he's being, you know, he's making football decisions, but is he being told he can only spend so much money? He said, no, it's just about maintaining the salary cap. You know, the salary cap can be manipulated in all kinds of ways. We know this. That shouldn't be a huge deal. Um, and plus, they're getting money from Landon uh, off when Landon Collins' contract, if it's officially off the books June 1, so they'll have some more money there. So it's all kind of confusing, to say the least. Um, you know, it is a wonder, is Dan Snyder, the fact that he bought out his partners last year, the fact that, you know, he's got a lot of off-the-field issues and and how much is that contributing to his bottom line all these things could be factors for sure i can't tell you definitively that they are but i think it's something we've been certainly looking at here and talking about and wondering and i think that wonder is worthy but again i wouldn't really worry over too much about bradbury i mean it's more symptom like i just don't i i just never really viewed bradbury as like a real option for these guys but you know the linebacker thing again to me is more of the curious one we're not even talking about that much money. I think for Bradbury, I think I saw it was like 10 million, but maybe it's like seven and a half with like incentives to get to 10. The linebackers we're talking about wouldn't cost much at all. And they're still not making a move. So we will see about that. Um, Mike mentioned the wizards. We didn't really get to, uh, to, to that. Uh, if you missed the last episode, I had Eamon Brennan, one of my colleagues at the athletic who covers college basketball, join me to discuss prospects in this draft we talked about guys who are going to go top four washington obviously didn't get any of that or aren't going to get any of them because they didn't go up in the lottery they ended up with the 10th pick the um you can go listen to uh amen and i discuss some of those prospects as well we'll have more about this you know down the line for sure um the wizards didn't get lucky at least they're not picking ninth again right there you go um all right here's the what we're going to go we're going to go back to some more commanders talk my colleague Aaron Suttles, who covers Alabama for the Athletic, joined me to discuss Brian Robinson and Fedarian Mathis. He's higher on one of those two guys than the other one. Uh, and um, let let you guys hear what he had to say. Here's my conversation with Aaron Suttles from the Athletic, talking James. Uh, I'm sorry, talking Fedarian Mathis and Brian Robinson here on the Standard Room Only podcast. 
All right, as promised, joining me here on the podcast, he uh, is our University of Alabama insider for the Athletic, which means he got a close hand, uh, close hand look at two of Washington's draft picks this year. He is Aaron Suttles. Aaron, I appreciate the time. I know I'm taking you away from uh, so your your, uh, your 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 personal activities there. So I appreciate the time. No, no problem. Sorry if it's a little noisy, but yeah, I. Uh... I know these all. I know all these Alabama guys pretty well. <laughs> yeah, no, well, no doubt. Well, Washington certainly has a thing with big, big name schools, and Washington would be, uh, you know, they, they certainly like the Alabama guys, um, and they drafted two of them both on day two. Uh, obviously, Fedarian Mathis, the defensive tackle, and Brian Robinson, the running back. Um, I, I, I guess just. We're, we 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 got a little look at them at rookie camp, and we have a little more sense of them now that we did a couple weeks ago when it all went down. I guess just to whatever degree, you know, just sort of broadly, we'll, to start with Mathis if you want, um, what are they getting with this guy? We know he's a defensive tackle, but what's your view of Fedarian Mathis going into the NFL? You know, Fedarian is a guy, If you know, when we were discussing Alabama football at this point last year, he was on everyone's radar as a guy that was going to have a have a breakout year, which was odd to think about because up until that point in his career, he had really been sort of just a reserve guy. And here he goes, and, and you know, right before he's about to be out of the program, getting ready for his last year, all these reports are circling, surfacing rather, that he's going to have a breakout year, and, and then he goes and does it. You know, he was second on the team and in sacks behind the monster year that Will Anderson had last year. So I think he's a guy that really capitalized on the moment and has a lot to prove. And I was a little surprised he went on day two, but I was also not, not all that surprised because he put, he put some really good film out there last year and, um, you know, dedicated his life to what he wanted to do, which was to maximize, you know, where he would go in the draft and, and he did it. Well, you're going to uh, freak people out when you say you're a little surprised he went day two because that was kind of the narrative when they made the pick, in part because of Mathis himself when they made the pick and he spoke with reporters, uh, myself included, and he said he was kind of getting the impression from his agent that he would be going later. Well, he wasn't anticipating going pick 47. Um, I've kind of written about why that may happen. It wasn't a great year for defensive tackles and so on. Well, I guess why – why did you kind of think that maybe he wouldn't go that early? Is it just based on what you saw from the draft board or things you heard or, or what you saw? Or what was your, why was your thinking for that? The fact that what he had done had been sort of so limited, just basically uh, one season. And then, you know, we, we try to make our own opinions, but I think we all sort of at some point in the process get sucked into this whole draft Nick thing. Everybody pretends to know what's going on, and and we we sort of slot guys in different spots. And I'll be the first to say, listen, professional scouts do this for a living, and I would take care of him way over mine. Um, you know, he, he's somewhat. He, he's. I'm not saying he's hit a ceiling, but he's not going to be a Chase Young, right? I mean, that's just not. We would have seen that, but I think what you get is a guy as I mentioned, who hasn't hit his ceiling yet, who's slowly built, you know, that's always been sort of a stereotype of Alabama players is what you see is what you're going to get because Alabama is such a good program. They've maxed those guys out already. 
I don't think that's always the case because guys mature at different paces. And for every Jonathan Allen, there's a Federian Mathis. You know, Jonathan Allen was a was an early star at Alabama, and and Alabama. I'm not saying he is that Alabama peaked him out, but you knew what you're going to get from Jonathan Allen by the time the draft rolled around. I don't know that we can say the same for Federian. I think that's probably the hope of the Redskins, or not Redskins, the the Commanders. Yeah, all all good. Trust me, we're we're, we're all still working with the names <laughs> ourselves up here. Um, so. Obviously, like you look out on paper, he had nine sacks last year from a defensive tackle position. That's a huge number, and it gives you hope. And yet, even Washington, when they're telling us about this kid, they're saying, "Well, he's more of a run stuffer. the 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 pass rushing will have to be developed." And I kind of heard the same thing when I've talked to other scouts around the league about that. What do you make of that? That they that he got nine sacks, yet everybody sort of downplaying that ability did you kind of was it did you kind of sense that it was maybe not fluky but that that really was sort of that that number doesn't really reflect what he is in that in that role Colt to project I, I i don't look at him and see a pass rush guy from an interior perspective but he can give you that i think as you actually just put what washington said um listen alabama is known as a pretty good defensive team but in 2018 19 and 20 they got progressively worse every season and there's a lot of reasons for that i won't get into that but the reason they made the jump back up the board last year is because their run defense got a lot better i think they finished second or third in the country in run defense so and a large part of that was the discipline that federian maths played with i think a lot of guys when they're you know stuck on the defensive line and they're being asked to do things that maybe sometimes don't always show up on stat sheets it's easy to sort of listen to people and try to try to freelance, to try to get after the quarterback and not always do your assignment. Well, that's a quick way to the bench at Alabama. If you're not going to do your job, they're not going to play you. They can't trust you. So I think you're getting the best of both worlds. That Federian could do his he could do his job soundly, stop the run, and on top of that, gave you some good, pretty good pass rush. And I think you know when you get to the NFL where everyone is so good. I do think that's an area he can get better, and they can sort of work on him, uh, his pass, uh, pass rush moves and stuff. Um, obviously, there's a natural comparison to two guys that he's now going to play behind in Washington that he followed at Alabama and Allen and Payne. Now, Deron Payne was the 13th pick the year he came out. Jonathan Allen was like 17, and he slipped. He, people thought he could be a top five pick, and he slipped because of some injury concern. And we're, we're sort of acknowledging that maybe 47 was a little perhaps – early for Mathis, so I don't know if there's a real seems like there's a real direct head-to-head comparison, but that said, how from your perspective, having covered them all like how what's the gap do you think between Mathis and those guys when, when, when they were coming into the league at least Yeah, I think it's you know fairly significant just because those guys did it for multiple years, and that that's not a knock-on for Darren because he developed at the pace he developed at and who's to say that he can't even make a bigger jump next year. And we see it all the time. Guys that, you know, weren't household names in college go to the NFL and, and get a pretty good careers. And, and, you know, he doesn't have the household name of Jonathan Allen or Gerard Payne. And, and that's just the way that it is. And he can look at that as a challenge or he can, you know, sort of look at it a different way. But I look at it as, you know, he's already spent one year, focused on trying to get better. He made a significant jump. And I think he knows that at this level, if he wants to be anything more than just having second-round pick on his 
Wikipedia page, if he wants to stick around a little bit, it's going to take the same amount of effort and progression that he had from, you know, going into a senior year to, to the draft. And but I just don't expect – I think it's probably unfair to expect the similar results of a what if Jonathan Allen or Deron Payne gives you just because, I mean, obviously he went where he went in the draft and he may have gone early. I think that tells you the differences in what scouts thinks in those guys' abilities. All right. So, so one thing that, like, if you look at Washington's draft broadly, especially the early – the, the day two picks is that they added toughness and aggressiveness to this roster from a, both a play style, maybe a mentality. That's partly, they hope obviously with a guy like Mathis, but also with what they got in the third round and Brian Robinson, a guy who, you know, really was successful, you know, running between the tackles, doesn't fumble, things like that. Uh, give me your, give me the, the, your initial thoughts on Robinson, the, the player and kind of, the fact that he was picked in the third round, kind of that's where you thought he might be going off the board. I think he got a real value pick there. I mean, Brian Robinson, even though he plays five years, which you don't traditionally see, um, if, if a college guy having five years and he's going to the NFL, I think, you know, relatively, he's got a lot of tread on the tires. Because he didn't get used a whole lot at Alabama. I know he did, you know, sort of his fifth year. But the year before that, they had planned – they wanted to use him a lot more. But Alabama had Najee Harris, and Najee was a volume carrier. And, you know, that's just was the strength of Najee's game is that he needed a lot of touches, and he got better with it, sort of like a Derrick Henry. But, you know, Nick Segal was always quick to point out, that doesn't mean – that's not anything that we think about Brian Robinson. We wanted to actually play him more. So, you know, I think he is what he is. He's, as you mentioned, sort of a one-cut runner. Gets north and south. Tremendously uh, tough, hard guy to bring down. Um, he's not going to be confused with Alvin Kamara. He's not sort of electric in space like that. But he, uh, he's he got a nose for the hole, and he's got a lot of tread left. And I think what speaks a lot about him is his character. And, and this, I want to be very careful how I say this. In today's college football, Brian Robinson are very rare. You know, if he had the talent to go to a lesser program and probably play a lot more but he grew up in Tuscaloosa he wanted to play for Alabama and he stuck around and he stuck around and he stuck around and it would have been easy for him to transfer but that wasn't what his dream was and you know he sort of by this time was a perfect teammate and really had a really good season last year so I like what he has to offer I think it gives you a lot of value there in the third round and he's going to be a tremendous teammate so they obviously Washington already has Antonio Gibson and J.D. McKissick, two guys who are pretty established, and I don't think people had running back as like a, a screaming need. I talked about it a bunch for different reasons, and though this offseason, and one of them was I think they wanted a little more consistency running the ball, you know, play to play, and you know Gibson had some fumble issues last year. Um, obviously Robinson was the main guy for Alabama, but like I guess do you see him like do? You, I don't even know if there's such a thing as a bell cow running back in the NFL anymore, but ultimately if that's, if that's required of him, is that a role that you think he can, he can handle or do you think he's kind of better served than that running back by committee as the sort of hammer worth where those guys being more of the outside threats? Yeah. I, I think the beautiful thing about Brian Robinson, he can do both because, you know, I told you about the season with Najee Harris. He's not getting to play as much as he wants. Where he comes into 2021, and he was, it was sort of viewed like he was going to be running back one 
but there were a lot of good running backs behind him. Jason McClellan and Roydell Williams. Well, those guys end up getting hurt. And, and so the running back depth at Alabama really deteriorated very quickly. So he went from a position where, you know, he's probably expected to be, quote, unquote, the guy while also sharing carries to being the guy without a lot of depth behind him. And I think he handled both of those roles well. And I think that's, that's the beauty of Ryan because I said, you know, earlier he's had a lot of tread left on the tires because he didn't get used a whole lot. So I think he could be the guy that you want to, if you want to make him the guy. Or and you and you also know the beauty of it is he's not going to go to pout. He's not going to get mad. He's not going to be a source of frustration in the locker room if he's not the guy because that's sort of what he's used to at Alabama. Um, is there? You said you said a lot of nice things about about his game right now. Is there something for him? Do you think is what's the key for him to maybe take another step up beyond just the basic adjustment to the NFL? What's maybe the thing that he needs to work on at, based on what you saw at Alabama? You know, I, I think what he what what he strives in is what I mentioned. Like he doesn't try to make something where there's nothing. He's gonna you know, he's gonna put his nose down and try to get the yard. He's not gonna try to bounce it outside. He's not gonna create a lot of negative stuff for you. It's based on him trying to do something special athletically. You know, I think he caught the ball some at Alabama, and he probably did a pretty good job. And I think in today's NFL, that's something he can continue to work on. And I think just, you know, maximizing already ability. If he can get a little bit faster, a little bit more quick. And obviously, you can't change what you're born with in terms of quick twitch, but you can always maximize what you already have. And he's a guy that's always stayed in tremendous shape. So I think if he can prove – to give the commander something in the passing game, that's going to help him a lot. Gotcha. Okay. Um, the um, obviously when you when you, when players come from Alabama, you kind of expect them to come in and play right away. Plus, you're drafted them on day two. Those are those are players you do kind of think should be able to con- contribute. Is there? It sounds like you might you might be thinking that maybe Robinson is able to go quicker right off the bat than Mathis. I bring this up in part because. Washington has sort of positioned itself to wanting to not only get off to a quick start this year, but you know actually try to take a take a notch up um, in the record. So is is that fair to say that Robinson may be the one of the two that's a little more ready to go um, over Mathis? Familiar with Washington's running back depth chart, but anybody that has a passing interest in football knows what they got on the defensive line. <laughs> But right. I think the pass, I think the pass is probably easier for Bryant. No offense to any, any of the Washington running backs ahead of him. Just when, I mean, if you just look at, you know, Sweat and Young and Allen and Payne and, and all those guys up front that that Federian is going to have to, you know, try not to jump in front of them, but at least uh, take some time away from their reps. Uh, that's a little probably a little more difficult than than what Bryant faces. Yeah, no, uh, no doubt, uh, no doubt uh, there for sure. Um, well, look, uh, Aaron, I really appreciate the the, the time. And uh, look, you know, as long as as long as uh, Washington continues to focus on Alabama players, uh, I suspect we will be uh, talking in the future because what? Look, it, it doesn't seem like you can go wrong drafting guys that Nick Saban sends out to the pros. That would just be my my, my basic thing. I don't know. Call me crazy. Yeah, they're uh, they're taught. It's basically a pro system in Alabama, so there's very little adjustment from the time a rookie from Alabama gets from Tuscaloosa to a professional uh, practice field. They they've been going through it for four and five years. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt. 
cool. Well, look, I really appreciate the time. Uh, best of luck with the off season, and uh, appreciate you, you taking a few minutes to chat. And uh, we'll we'll talk soon. All right, take care. All right, many thanks to Mike Smeltz and Aaron Suttles for their time. Thanks to everyone for checking out the podcast. Enjoy the week. I will do my best to as well. That's it for now. Ben Standick signing off. Until next time. See ya.